Are you a counsellor or a psychotherapist wanting to attract more clients more simply? Then you, lovely person, are in the right place because I'm here to help you navigate marketing and remove any confusion and overwhelm that you might feel. Oh, and ditch that critical, nagging inner voice too. So each week I'll offer you inspiration, motivation and practical advice so you can get your marketing done and then get on with your life. I'm Jane Travis and welcome to the Grow Your Private Practice show. It's great to have you here. Hi and welcome back. And if it's your first visit, I'm so glad that you found us. And especially if it's your first visit, this is a great time to join us because I'm delighted to say that I've got the lovely Sarah DeSange here as my guest. Now, Sarah has many strings to her bow. She's a counsellor. She's an author. She wrote a book called I Can't Stop Eating, which is all about breaking free from binging. Uh, That's available on Amazon. It's a great book. I've got it. She also is, as I say, she's a therapist and she runs therapy groups for people that struggle with binge eating. And she also now delivers CPD to other counsellors. She runs CPD on how to host your own therapy groups. And she's been a guest in the Grow Your Private Practice Club and, and delivered a workshop on that, which was fantastic. And she also runs CPD on how to work with people who have a tricky relationship with food. So very, very knowledgeable. And today we're talking about quite a few different things, but really including niching and the benefits that niching has brought her, how it's helped her to attract clients and how she does attract clients. We also talk a bit about the benefits of group work and a little bit more about the CPD work that she does. I think you're going to enjoy this one. Hi and welcome to today's episode and I'm absolutely delighted to say that I've got Sarah DeSinge here coming to talk to us a little bit about her counselling business and her book and her CPD events and lots of brilliant things. So Sarah, would you like to introduce yourself to us? I would. Thank you very much for inviting me on Jane. I'm delighted to be here. So my name's Sarah DeSinge and I'm a psychotherapist. I studied TA originally but I think of myself a bit more as integrative now Um, and I have a niche which is working with binge eating and people struggling with their body image and um, I do a lot of stuff on social media now and I wrote a book so I could relate to you on that one Jane how scary (laughs) is it to write and self-publish a book and put it out there so that was at the beginning of last year and um, I'm really passionate about running therapy groups. So I help other therapists to set up their groups because I think, especially in these times, they are the way forward. Well, I think that, I mean, I I love what you do. I've followed you for a while. And interestingly, this is kind of a little bit of a networking thing, isn't it? Because I first saw you when, I mean, I used to have a free Facebook group for anybody who didn't know. And I first saw Sarah in the Facebook group and she was talking about her passion for growing groups and helping other therapists to grow groups. And I was like, wow, that's a really interesting thing. So I I contacted you, didn't I? And this is kind of networking. You contact someone and then they stay on your radar and you kind of just get to know each other and then it just helps your business. So networking is just being friends and helping your business basically, isn't it? And then after that, you came and did a group therapy workshop for me in the Grow Your Private Practice Club. So if anybody wants to listen to that, that's still available um, for members. 
So, yeah, I've sort of seen how you've kind of, I've seen how you've, how you've worked and how you've moved within what you do to change slightly in what you offer people. And I think where I really resonate with you, Jane, is, and where I think we're quite similar, is both of us are so keen to help counsellors really realise what's possible and to give them, I don't even want to say confidence because I don't think it's confidence, but courage mm. to go out. There's so many therapists out there that I talk to, they like the idea of running groups, but there are so many anxieties and things that hold them back. So I see the work that you're doing. You really help counsellors to dismantle what's holding them back. Um, and that's what I'm trying to do with helping counsellors set up the therapy groups. Because mm. I think counsellors, we have such a wide variety of knowledge and information that we can share in so many ways, not just sitting in a room face to face with not face to face anymore at the moment, is it? But, you know, it's the stuff that we have that we can potentially share is far more than just counselling if that's what people want we can go in lots of different ways which I find really really exciting 100% and I think counsellors really underestimate their knowledge and their skill set mm-hmm. because we're a, a bunch that have been trained to be humble and critiquing ourselves and all of mm-hmm. that's important but we can go too far the other way mm-hmm. especially if we put pressure on ourselves that we are supposed to be good enough we're supposed to know everything we're supposed to have the answers for our clients Mm. yeah makes makes our life hard doesn't it if we if we sort of buy into any of that so let's talk a little bit more about you now you have a niche I love your niche your niche and you call yourself on Instagram so go and check Sarah out it's the binge eating therapist and what I love about this is it's clear and obvious what you do who you help And so if ever I have somebody, because I used to work with issues around food when I was a counsellor, I still occasionally get phone calls from people asking if I can help them. And you're the name that comes to my head because it's so clear what you do. I'll say, I don't do that anymore, but I know somebody who does check check out the binge eating therapist. So I wonder how you chose your niche, because I know most counsellors find it really scary to, to have a niche and to sort of really embrace that. Mm-hmm. And now I'm going to apologize for how cheesy this may sound. <laughs> People might might not like me very much for saying this, but in a way I feel like my niche chose me. Now that's not particularly helpful to somebody out there who might be considering a niche, but my journey was when I studied to be a counselor, I did not know that I was going to be specializing in binge eating. That wasn't the goal. It was just to become a counselor and therapist and work with whatever the client presented. Um, And then in my final year of training, I did a placement at a private eating disorder clinic. And at the time, I agonized with my own therapist about whether to do it or not, because I had gone through bulimia, binge eating disorder. I still felt that my relationship with food was wobbly at best. So I thought, could I really be somebody who goes in there and helps other people with their eating problems? So after some soul searching, I did decide to take the placement. And it just felt like in my soul, right in my gut, it just Mm. felt right. I loved the work. I felt like it was something that I had something to offer in Mm. because I'd been through that. So then when I qualified as a therapist, I did my training at the National Center for Eating Disorders because I thought that's going to give me some credibility, um, even though the way I work isn't necessarily as CBT based as a lot of their training is. 
And then I, and I think a lot of therapists want to do this with their niche. They're like, well, I'll see everything. And then I'll just have a page or a couple of paragraphs Mm. on my website that says, but I also particularly like working with anxiety or bereavement or whatever it might be. So I did that with eating disorders. And I started getting more and more inquiries with eating disorders. And I just found that the way my workload was balanced, that was the work that I just felt really drawn to. Mm. And so it started to naturally have more people with eating problems than not, but I was taking on clients from all kinds of things. And then I just decided this is the work that I'm passionate about. Mm. So I made the decision not to take on anyone else Mm. unless they were struggling with eating. So then it was eating disorders. But then within that, I realized the people that I really, really enjoyed working with, the work I really wanted to do with those who were struggling with binge eating, um, with overeating, emotional eating on that side of the spectrum. Mm. And so I then, yeah, probably about six months ago now, made the decision not to take on anorexia or bulimia and to Mm. just work with people who are struggling with binge eating Mm. and overeating. So it was a gradual niching down it wasn't one day I thought right this is all I'm going to work with so that was that was my journey and how I ended up Mm. just working with the binge eating and I think that's it isn't it It, I don't think there is a light bulb moment for people when they're starting out where they think oh I definitely want to do this thing I think it can be a real gradual process of having an interest in something that then becomes more and more you become more and more passionate or the other way around is I suppose and I suppose this is true for you as well because i we know that you struggled yourself with your own eating. And I think very often a niche that we choose is often something that we've struggled with, not always, but often it can be something we've struggled with ourselves because we've got that real, that gives us passion, doesn't it? Because we've got a real inside sense of what it's like. And if we've had counselling then and it's helped, we want to give that to other people. We want to let other people to get to see the, you know, the, the results that are possible. Yes. We underestimate lived experience. And actually, it was one of my concerns because I thought, well, if I've been through this, does that mean I'm just going to be projecting my experience onto the client all the time? And I think as long as you remain aware that that is a possibility, you can look out for it. You can be aware of it. The stuff that trips us up tends to be the stuff that's outside of our awareness. So I'm constantly questioning what's mine, what's theirs. And that's like supervision and peer, all that kind of stuff you can use. Mm. around that and I don't know about you what your experience has been because you talk a lot with counsellors about niches but I generally find there's two things that come up when I talk to a counsellor about having a niche number one is they feel like well I'm not the expert in anything if having a niche is presenting yourself with this expert you know way more than anybody else about this stuff but what I think happens is when you have a a niche that is something you're interested in you think about it a lot you're Mm. talking about it a lot So now, rather than me being someone who knows so much about binge eating, I know how to talk about it because I have so much. So when people hear me talking about it, they think, oh, she knows so much. But quite often it's like when someone says something and it resonates with you, it resonates because part of you already knew that was true. You just didn't have the language. So I think sometimes a niche is putting energy and creating Mm -hmm. language about something so you can help your clients find that language so that would probably be the first one I don't know if you get that come up for you yeah I mean I do actually have a podcast called I can't remember what its name is something like do I have to be an expert um I'll put the link in the show notes for anybody who wants to have a listen to that because that can be a real sticking point I I don't have enough experience in this and we can only 
we already have a lot of experience. We've got the life experience of the day you're born till now. We've got all the experience that 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 brings. We've got all the experience that we've had through our own counselling, through our counselling training, through working with clients. We have so much more experience about whatever the subject is than kind of a lay person, if you like. And again, you know, I think as counsellors, we don't necessarily give ourselves credit or are really aware of actually how valuable that that is. Yeah, 100%. And I don't know if you have an intuition about what the second one might be that makes counsellors reluctant to take on a niche. Sometimes it's because they worry that it'll put other people off or there won't be enough clients to satisfy that. Is that the one? not but that's a really good one and I'm glad you brought that one up so that one's definitely worth talking about I have never been busier than when I niched down mm. you know clients when they're looking for a therapist they're looking for someone who's going to resonate they want someone who's going to understand and get them so if they're struggling with I don't know health anxiety specifically and you're talking about knowing about health anxiety they're going to want to come to you so that is a really good one the one I was thinking of that I often hear from counsellors is that they think that having a niche, they think, well, I'd get bored if Mm. I had a niche because I want to work with the whole range of stuff. Mm. There are many, many sessions where food does not even get Mm. mentioned. Everything's connected to everything, whether it's a particular kind of anxiety, whether it's whatever it might be that is someone's particular struggle. You've got everything around that. Relationships always come into it. You know, what does it mean to live? What is it the client wants? You know, that idea of increasing self-awareness all these skills that you have as a general counsellor anyway and all these subjects that you want to talk about are going to still come in Mm. it's not I'm not talking about food and binging all day long Mm. and that's so true isn't it because a person is a person you know if you're an anxiety counsellor and somebody comes to you with anxiety the reason that they're there might be you know that's the that's the thing they're aware of it opens up everything about their life, their background, their relationships, literally everything. And we can't get bored of that because it's a person. They've just come for a particular thing, but the backstory is just as rich and varied. It's just a way of getting people to come to you. I mean, it's basically, and I suppose this is the next question I have for you really is, having a niche is a great way. It helps you to focus your marketing and I know you now, now you call yourself the binge eating therapist. So it's really clear and obvious what it is that you do. Can you tell me sort of how much having a niche has helped you in your marketing? I think, and, and the name's interesting because when I first joined Instagram, I was therapist in London because I, I was in London and I thought that made sense as a name. And then when I decided I wanted to focus on binge eating, for a brief period of time, I was going under the name break free from binge eating again that's great it's about but there are a lot of people talking about binge eating out there there might be people who have recovered they might be coaches and then um it was actually when I decided to start my YouTube channel I had a big flip chart and I was just brainstorming names and just writing down everything I could think of and that one came up the binge eating therapist and I thought yep that'll be the name of my YouTube channel I did that and then I thought well if I'm that on YouTube surely it makes sense to become that on Instagram so I changed the name on Instagram And then I got to the point, well, surely I should call my practice that. So then my website became that. So it was kind of this gradually evolving thing. And one of the things that I say to a lot of therapists on social media, there are a lot of therapists Mm -hmm. on social media. That idea, having a niche, like how are you going to 
it's not even about standing out, but it's about how are you going to resonate or attract the kind of clients or even just the kind of people who are going to connect with whatever your message is, whatever it is that you want to contribute and give. And so that's why I think the name is so important. And, you know, I've got a few like Elsie changed her name to the people pleasing therapist. And, you know, I watched her Instagram start building up quite quickly after that. People know what to expect from that. There's another one, Beatrice, I can't remember what hers is, but it's something, something about boundaries and it's got the word boundaries in and therapist. So that when people see your name, they're going to just pause and have a look. So I think the name is really important with anything like that. I think if I was just Sarah Dosange therapy on Instagram, what's that going to mean to anybody? It also means if I'm commenting on someone else's post and people see my name, they might be inclined to have a look. Mm. But your question about like how has having a niche helped your marketing? I think for me, it's helped me to really speak in my own voice. So when I was doing general therapy, I found that my whatever I was writing was just very general. And I don't know if you ever scroll through counseling directory or psychology today, Mm -hmm. a lot of the profiles all start to sound the same. So when you start talking about something you're interested in, that's when people can hear your voice. So I just think it's easier to market yourself when you are talking about something that's important to you, because that will come across. Mm. Well, absolutely. If you're passionate about something, then of course it's going to come across. You know, of course, it's going to come across in what you write about. And of course, it's going to be easier for to think of things, easier for you to think of things that you want to say, things that you want to share. You're going to have more idea of hints and tips and stories to do with it. It just kind of, it kind of makes sense that if you're really passionate, in fact, when you're passionate about something, the problem is shutting you up really, isn't it? (laughs) If you're really passionate about something, you'll find it so much easier to, to, think of things to say on social media or blogging or whatever content you produce because it's almost like your brain just is wired to constantly be looking for those things and it does it just becomes so much more easy exactly that and I just I think you're you're much clearer as well on what you're offering when you've got a, a, a niche there tends to be a problem a specific problem that you're focusing on whether it's relationships there's one therapist, actually, her first name's Melissa. I don't know what her surname is. And on Instagram, it's not another therapist. And her niche that she's trying to figure out how to get her message out there at the moment is for people whose fathers left. So they grew up fatherless. They were abandoned by their fathers. Now, she shares that this was her experience. And she feels that there's such experiences about that that are quite whilst we all have similar experiences, they're quite niche and quite specific to what it's like to grow up knowing that your father left and he didn't come back. And so I speak to a lot of therapists who have these brilliant ideas for niches, but they're still trying to figure out Mm. how to get that niche out there. And that is a conversation that I think is really important to have. And I'm no marketing expert, but I want to see and support therapists Mm. that are trying to do that. Absolutely. I mean, I used to do um, a service, Know Your Niche, many moons ago, because uh, I think people get caught up in this idea of um, a niche has to be something like, right, I see 56 to 60-year-old women who have depression. And do you know what I mean? And that's not really a niche in my eyes. That's not really a niche. For me, having a niche is more about, oh, well, let me think about this. I started this sentence now and I don't know. <laughs> 
answer it. I think we can, I think a lot of the marketing things that are out there are about having an avatar and you'll think of an avatar and you'll give them a name and you look at the lifestyle that they've, that they've got. So it might be right. Okay. I work with 45 year old divorced women to do whatever. And I don't know that that necessarily fits with counseling. I don't know that that necessarily fits with like actually choosing a niche because what most counsellors work with can go across all age groups. I mean, obviously, depending on if you've got a specific age group that you work with, obviously. But for example, with something like anxiety, you don't have to say I work with people that are in their 40s with anxiety because the, the, the skills that you have are transferable across all the different ages. Does that kind of make sense? I think I've got, gone off on no, a strange tangent No, 100%. We can get caught up on demographics mm. compared to actually what is the struggle, what is the human experience that mm. often spreads throughout the demographics. And you're right, yeah, a lot of the marketing in other areas or careers will be like focus on, you know, your ideal client. Mm. And I'm thinking, and so I'll say to, to therapists when they're setting up their groups, so I had one setting up group for young people with low mood, like, what is it they want from coming for a group? What is it someone with a low mood who's willing to come to therapy? What is it they want? Mm. Like, okay, well, they want to feel better or they want to get their mm. energy back, whatever it might be. Those are the things that you're speaking to. Mm. What's the hope? Because actually somebody without hope isn't going to come and see you. Mm. There's going to be some hope there for them to reach out in the first place. And we can connect with that hope when we know our niche when we know what it is. I mean, I have an exercise in the Grey Private Practice Club called the Empathy Exercise, and I, I make this thing called the Cloud Busting Document. Can't, can't go into it all now, but basically the Empathy Exercise is looking at what are the problems that your ideal clients have and what are the solutions? What do they actually want from it? Because I think that's sometimes how where we can fall down. We're often really clear on the issues and the problems that potential clients have. I don't know that we're always really aware of what do they really want and sometimes it's about getting really tangible with this. So sometimes we might say, well, they want to be more confident. Well, what does that mean to your ideal client? So, for example, I used to work with issues around food. So for, for my ideal client, confidence might be I want to walk into a party, even if I've not lost any weight and still feel good. And that's the stuff that you put on your website because that's the thing that, that somebody who's struggling with their weight will see and think, yeah, that's what I want. So it, it's it's being going a bit deeper. So rather than to have more confidence, what would that mean to your ideal client? If they had more client, more confidence, what would they be able to be, do or have differently as a result of that? And when you can get a little bit, bit sort of more drill down on that then you start to get to the actual things that these people these ideal clients are going to say yeah actually that's that's really ringing true with me and it makes a massive difference doesn't it 100 percent. and samantha colmer a therapist she's starting a social anxiety group this week you know and part of the the copy that i was helping her out with you know we talked about that idea of everybody's everybody whoever everybody is everybody in inverted commas is excited or can't wait for lockdown to lift so that they can socialize again but actually people with social anxiety mm. a lot of them are feeling quite anxious about it and find it quite difficult hearing everybody else so excited about mm. it when the thought of it makes them anxious so naming that in a group that's starting up during lockdown 
to name, like, does it seem like everybody else is really excited for lockdown to end so they can socialize? But does it fill you with a sense of anxiety? People are going to go, yes, mm. yes, it does. <laughs> yeah, that that drilling down is the, the gold, isn't it? When it comes to marketing, if you, that's where the resonation comes from. Is there a word? Is that a word, resonation? But when you resonate with your followers, that's the thing that helps that res, reson. Is it, resonance. is it a word? Resonance. resonance. That's it. Oh my God, what's it. going on with me? <laughs> it's lockdown. I blame lockdown. That's where you get that resonance. When people read something like that and they go, wow, that person really understands. That person really gets me. If I go and see that person, they I don't really have to explain this in absolute fullness because they've got a sense of what it might mean. Yeah. And it, it provides a sense of expectation as well, like from the client, because people like you say, people are worried if they niche, they're going to be turning away people that, you know, potential clients. But someone read it once or heard it once where they said marketing is becoming like a magnet. You want to attract and repel. Mm -hmm. So the clients who are not, you know, not for you, who are not in this place of whatever it is that you are hoping to do. And one of the things I love about the fact I do all the social media stuff is that when clients come to see me, they've already got a feel for me. They already mm. resonate with me. They already buy into my philosophy, which means I'm just attracting ideal clients all mm. the time. Absolutely. It is great and great for my well-being as well and for mm. my energy. Well, absolutely. I mean, I've said before, the first session somebody has with you face-to-face -face or on Zoom, I guess, traditionally it was the first chance that somebody got to meet you. And that session was not really about the counselling. A lot of it was about, are we okay to work together? Well, getting to know someone through social media or content kind of means that that first session, they've already decided to work with you. So that first session's just about, right, okay, what are we going to work on? So it, it changes it from, they, they already know that they want to work with you from what they've seen. So it kind of takes that, that bit away. So the inquiries that you get are the people that actually want to work with you very often. Yeah. Exactly that. And um, there are people that are ready to work with you as well. Quite a lot of the time, they've been following me for a while and it just hit a certain point where they're like, I want help. And of mm. course, they think of me. Yeah. And it can be a long time. They can be following you for a long time before they actually are ready to come. So keep going with your social media. It's not a quick fix. You know, it's not a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And sometimes I'll get someone come from an internet search and so they don't know anything about me or they've just come across my website and they might say to me in the first message, you know, can you tell me a bit about how you work? And then, you know, I can direct them to my YouTube channel. And I normally say, like, have a look at this video. You'll get a sense of me. You'll hear about how I talk about this stuff. And if it feels like it resonates, resonates then come back. And what it means is I actually don't do screening calls anymore. So I don't, a lot of therapists will spend time speaking to someone on the phone first and if I was meeting in person then I probably would but now with everything being online is if someone wants to work with me I just book them straight in for the first session mm. if after the first session I decided it wasn't appropriate then you know I, it hasn't happened but my instinct is I would refund them that money because yeah. I that wouldn't feel right doing it that way yeah but you, you can make that choice then yeah yeah it frees me up as well mm. yeah Absolutely. So how did you really get started with groups? So there you are, you're a counsellor, you've got your niche, and then you start doing the group therapy. So what do you think, 
what what happened to sort of make that happen? So I think I was always really impacted by when I was struggling with my food, I went to Overeaters Anonymous for about seven months. So that, I think, left a really deep impression on me about how it feels to be in so much pain and to be around people that seem to get it. And when people are talking, it feels like they're in your own head. That experience stayed with me. Mm. And then when I did my placement at the private eating disorder clinic, the director there was quite keen on the idea of groups. And I think I must have you know, said something about also being quite enthusiastic about the idea. So they let me run a group on my own, on a placement. They just stuck me in a group of people. <laughs> and I mean, talk about a baptism of fire. But my supervisor at the time, uh, Malcolm Peterson, an excellent supervisor if anyone's looking for someone to supervise them for groups, he um, is a group analyst. So I had the the advantage and the support of having a supervisor who knew their stuff about groups. But it's one of those reasons why I'm a big fan of the idea sometimes you need to do in order to learn. We feel like we want to learn everything first, mm. particularly as counsellors. And you can learn, you can go through every possible ethical situation you can think of and try and plan how you would react. And something will still take you by surprise. So I had that experience, loved it, really, really enjoyed doing that. It was so scary, but really enjoyed doing it. And then I thought, well, I, I want to run a group in my private practice. And for me, it was just like, a, I will find a way to run a group in private practice, even if it meant doing it for free, like whatever it took, I was going to figure out how you do this. And I love this about you because that's, you're right, we can sometimes get so caught up into it and think, right, I've got to read a book or I've got to take a course. But sometimes you literally just have to, I mean, obviously safely, you've got to have certain boundaries in place. Sometimes you just got to go for it and have that tenacity to say, right, this is what I want to do. How am I going to do it? And I love that you kind of pick the ball up and run with it. <laughs> it's just, you know, they've got those different learning styles. I'm the activist one that just, I learn by doing. Like, I don't need the information. I know I always try and put furniture together before reading the instructions and end up in the right mess. That's me. Um, so that's very much a personality trait, I think, around that. But also, like, when, when counsellors see their first clients, then they're still in training. They've normally just started their training. So you start doing the work before you're qualified, mm. before you've backed it up with all this stuff you're supposed to know now. Um, and I think it can be the same with groups. Like there's plenty of information out there in terms of other people's experience. I run the peer support groups for therapists who are running groups because it's an opportunity for them to come and talk this stuff through. You have supervision. We have so many materials and resources. We cannot mm. get it all in our heads first before we act. That's my experience. Anyway. So you're never really alone with it. There's always people out there that can help you with it. So you can you can do some research on it, get started. And it's not like you're just going out there and just get on with it. There's always help and support available if you, you know, it's there to find. Yeah. And you spend some time beforehand, like thinking and reflecting about what's the kind of group you want to create. Because some therapists want a group that's got a bit of psychoeducation in, some want more of a process group. So all of that is, is preparation. All of that is learning. Okay, you're in your own mind, but you're gathering your thoughts together into like what it is that you're trying to do and what your hope is for the group that you're running. I never, I've never run a group. I did loads of training on running a group. 
I did a course. I went to a course on running a group, but I never got round to it. I think that it's easy to get caught up in fears and that can trap us and hold us back, can't it? So much. And the thing I'll say, and the, the biggest tip that I learned, and I, I probably shared this with you when we talked before, but I, I have to keep reiterating it with, with the therapist all the time. My first group, I started advertising four months before it started. A week before, I think I had one person signed up. Three days before, maybe two people signed up. They all came at the last minute. I was turning people away in the end. And recently, um, Beatrice, she set up a group for women who are doing online dating. I think that is just the best, <laughs> best subject for a group. You've got all the relationship patterns in that. It's wonderfully kind of specific and niche as well and quite easy to target on Facebook too. So she started this group, but two days beforehand, she was messaging me saying, I've only got two people signed up. I mm. think I need to push it back. And I said, no, hold your nerve. Mm. they come at the last minute yes you have to get the word out but people sign up and she even had somebody she had someone on the day sign up she ended up with four the fourth person signed up on the day and even just after the first session a fifth person then contacted her wanting to join Mm. it's that's it's a marketing thing because it's the scarcity mentality that after this date when this group starts this may not be available you have to make a decision by now um, and that's what gets people to act yeah absolutely it happens to me for you know every roughly about every year although I didn't put my price up last year because of COVID but when I put the price up I usually say look if you're thinking of joining come and join now because I'm going to put the price up and it's always like the hour before that people are like yeah I'm going to do that (laughs) it it just literally is it's always just before and I'm the same you know if I know there's something for sale I'll think about it and think about it and think about it and then I'll get that little email that says goes up in an hour and I'm like yeah I'm going to get it then because I get massive FOMO and it just (laughs) we all do it don't we we all do it yeah I always get that with the CPD stuff I do the early bird and it's still like a week beforehand when people sign up Mm. and you've kind of changed slightly now so you started doing your own groups but then you've kind of got into helping other counsellors to put together their groups and now you've kind of offered you've gone more down the CPD route as well haven't you yeah, so I'd actually, before I did the group stuff, I was doing the CPD training for working with binge eating. Oh, right. Okay. I didn't back know when that. we could do them in person. Um, I'd done it a couple of times. And now it's kind of extended from one day to a weekend because there's so much stuff. When it comes to our relationship with food and our relationship with our bodies, I mean, there's so much that we can um, talk about when it comes to that. And one thing as well, I found with some of the therapists I talked to who come on the binge eating training. And some that are thinking about it is they'll say, well, I don't have a great relationship with food. So therefore, you know, I don't feel that this is the time for me to be doing training and working with binge eating. And I found it as well, like with some of the groups of the therapists who've come, it really takes a while compared to the group training for therapists to almost warm up. Because what I've noticed is actually the people who tend to struggle with food the most tend to be people in the helping professions. And I think therapists are particularly vulnerable to struggling with their relationship with food and their body. And then thereby they go to this place, well, how can I help anybody else come to a better place with food when I can't do it for myself? But we could say that about anything. Well, let's face it. If we waited until we were all self-actualized before we started counselling, there wouldn't be a single counsellor out there. You know, we don't have to be fully 
perfect in every way to be a counsellor. We just need to help people and understand. So you don't have to be fully cured of whatever to be able to help people. I mean, obviously you want to be working on stuff, but but you don't have to have reached a certain peak of, I know everything about this thing to be able to help other people. And I know with you, we were talking earlier, you know, with the um, with your eating, you know, it's still something that you're thinking about and working on and have an awareness of yourself in your personal life. But that doesn't mean you can't help other people, even though you're still looking at your own issues. Yeah, and I think there's a, I think all that's required is a commitment to being as self-aware as we are able to be about our struggles in a certain area and a commitment to, so for me, my commitment is to keep bringing myself back into balance with food. And I've Mm. learned how to do that, but I do have to keep consciously bringing myself back into balance with food. Mm. And so that is always going to influence the way I work with clients. Like I see the goal as balance. Mm. That's my favorite word when it comes to food, to feel regulated and balanced Mm. with one's eating. So quite often when we don't, there are parts of us that we don't like or we feel uncomfortable or ashamed about, we push it to the back of our mind or we put it in a blind spot somewhere. And that's the time when it's more likely to trip us up because we're Mm. not aware of it. Yeah. And we're aware of our limitations and our struggles. We can watch out for like how it's going to impact the work. Yeah. So you don't have to never, ever struggle with anxiety to be an anxiety counsellor. But you do have to have an awareness of your anxiety, have um, an awareness maybe of your processes and be, I guess, yeah, just have an awareness. Think about that balance. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and it works across the board. I mean, if you were struggling in your relationship, you are going through a rocky patch. Does that mean you would feel like you can't work with anybody else in their relationships? You know, and food is a relationship and above mm. all. So I think that is sometimes the reluctance for some therapists to do some training around working with binge. And it's not just binge eating. I work around like compulsive eating, emotional eating, and, and thinking about the differences between the two. Mm. Food addiction, is it a thing? Isn't it a thing? That's something that, that we look into as well. Mm. And especially now during the pandemic, more people than ever are struggling with their relationship with food. Mm. Everybody's talking about gaining weight. We've got mm. the government that's putting pressure on people to lose weight and, and that can then lead to this sort of accusatory attitude towards people who are carrying more weight and what it means for healthcare. So it then becomes political. Mm. So it's a huge subject that yeah. I think, obviously I'm biased, but I think we don't talk about enough. <laughs> There's nothing makes me want to eat more than somebody telling me I shouldn't eat. Yes. Nothing at all. hundred percent. hundred percent. How many times have I heard about people stepping on the scale panicking at the number they've seen and then wanting to rush and eat. Mm, it yeah. ties into our survival drives, our appetites, our, our need to feel free, our need for like uh, autonomy and self-agency. There are so many themes, not to mention relationships and early family dynamics, biology. There are so many layers. Mm, that's why it's so interesting. It is so interesting. Relationships with food is something that I was so passionate about it was just and different for everybody and it's just fascinating I won't get started on that but yeah I envy that you're doing that now because that's something that I was so interested in so what are you offering at the moment for therapists so because I know that you did do some um, therapy training on running groups is that something you still do yes so I was doing um, I was running therapy training for 
running groups. And then I teamed up with Tamara Howell and we put on a workshop together. And at the moment, you can buy the replay of that for £37. But we're talking about putting on the live workshop again. There's something lovely about coming to a live Mm. workshop. We like doing them. And I think my preference generally is to attend live. And then anybody who's been to the workshop or buys the replay, I run a Facebook group for setting up groups in private practice. And I do at least monthly, more often at the moment, because it's locked down and I enjoy the company. I do peer support meetings on Zoom where people, they share what's going on, like where are their struggles with getting the word out about their groups. And we help each other out with our adverts. We help spread the word as well. So, you know, if you've got a client who is going through the whole online dating thing and you know there's a therapist running a group about that, you might just say, oh, just to let you know, there's a colleague of mine running this group. If it's something Mm. you're interested in, I can let you know, all of that kind of thing as well. So that's something that I'm offering at the moment. And then I think this comes out beginning of March on the 6th and 7th of March that weekend. That's my next working with binge eating weekend. And that's five hours on a Saturday and a Sunday with me. And I cap that at 11 people because for me, especially around the binge eating, the interactive part's really important. I want mm. it to feel like a workshop, not a webinar. Yeah. With 11 people, 12 boxes fills the Zoom screen in a very, very satisfying way. I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> I'm with you on that. So if anybody's in, if you're a counsellor at the moment and you are interested in learning more about all sorts of issues to do with binge eating and relationships with food, then jump in quick because that's on what did you say the 6th and the 7th the 6th of March. And 7th of March but if people are listening to this after then I will I normally as soon as I finish one weekend yeah. I set another date so you yeah. can have a look at future dates yeah perfect so if you're interested in that and it's not you know if, if that date's gone then just have a look below this recording and there'll be some details there I think it's absolutely fantastic to learn a little bit more about you, Sarah, and where you've gone from, you know, obviously when you first started out to your first sort of, oh, should I kind of get thrown in at the deep end with their, with um, groups and with your niche and then realising and really wholeheartedly embracing that. You even wrote a book, didn't you? I did. <laughs> <laughs> it's I a did. great book, by the way. Anybody who wants to read the book, it's called... Oh, I've got it down there. I can't stop eating. That's right. And that's available on Amazon. And also recently, because I was going to record it and put it on Audible and then just found the whole process of getting the sound right was a bit stressful at this time, I have recorded it and stuck it on my YouTube channel for free. So if anyone wants to go listen to me reading my book, you're welcome to do so. (laughs) Because, Sarah, you've also got a YouTube channel, haven't you? That's right, yeah. Yeah. Loads of ways that you can go and connect with Sarah, learn more about how she works with binge eating and issues around food. And yeah, so many different ways that you get out there and let people know what it is that you do, which is all absolutely brilliant. Sarah, that's really fantastic. It's been fantastic talking to you and listening to you and learning a bit more about your niche, how it's helped you marketing, about how about how this has sort of then led you to move forward in lots of different directions. And of course, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. There might be lots of other things that you do in the future. And all the time that you're learning these things, it's increasing your skills base, your knowledge base, which all sets you up to do really whatever you want to do. And I'm going to be interested to see where you go with it all. Thank you, Jane. (laughs) 
Oh, thank you. Thank you, Sarah, so much. It's been really great chatting with you. Thanks for asking me to come on. See, I told you Sarah's lovely. Now, if you're interested in anything that we spoke about, you'll find all the links below this recording, including how to connect with Sarah and how to access her workshops. And remember, if you're a member of the Grow Your Private Practice Club, you already have access in the group to the group therapy workshop that Sarah did for us. And I'll include details of how to get more info about the Grow Your Private Practice Club and how to join below. Okay, so that's it for now. I hope that you found this episode helpful. If you did, remember to click subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. And if you think that this might help a fellow counsellor, then please share it. Now, the best places to find me are on Instagram. So that's Grow Your Private Practice, which is all lowercase, no spaces. Or on LinkedIn, where if you just check out Jane Travis and come and say hi, I would absolutely love that. So have a fantastic week and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this, then please subscribe to the show. And while you're there, I'd love it if you could leave me a big, shiny five-star review. Bye.